everybody. This is James Shepard with the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is a special edition today where I'm going to be giving you three scenarios if you're currently doing non-cash adjustment or if you're currently doing compliance surcharging or if you're currently doing dual pricing. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I believe that you should do moving forward with these changes that we're seeing from Visa uh, you know, and the other card brands. At a high level, I wanna talk about this kind of good news, bad news, and I'm gonna get into these three scenarios. Before I do that, um, this podcast is brought to you by ISOAMP. You can head over to getisoamp.com to get a demo and learn more about that. All right, let's jump in. The good news, bad news. I actually have some good news today. I didn't think I was gonna say that <laughs> about this differential pricing and all this, uh, You know, we've had a lot of kind of confusion and, and issues with it. Let me tell you what the good news is, okay? The good news is that compliance with visa rules specifically, okay? Compliance is no longer a gray area, okay? We know what is compliant and we know what is not compliant. In other words, we know what visa considers compliant, okay? And we know what visa does not consider compliant. Now. There are a few edge cases. There's a few weird programs. I'm not even going to bring up on this particular podcast. But as far as these three scenarios I'm about to give you, I can tell you with certainty what Visa considers compliant and what they do not consider compliant. So that's the good news. Okay. The bad news is that the gray area has now shifted a little bit from what is compliant over to who is responsible for enforcing compliance at the merchant level? Who is responsible to enforce and make sure that the merchant is compliant? Okay. So let me give you what, let me explain a little more of what I mean by that. All right. So, you know, if you look at compliance surcharging, that one is, you know, basically a hundred percent, like we know what's compliant. We know who enforces the compliance. It's pretty much all visa all the merchant has to do is have a point of sale system or some type of device that's going to add a fee and it's going to add it only to credit card transactions, not to debit. They don't have to change anything on the shelf or the menu. And so that one's an easy one, right? But when we get outside of that and we get to the cash discounting and the, the dual pricing, we have this issue where there are certain things that Visa believes need to exist on the shelf or the menu, Okay. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But as a really quick example, uh, we're talking about a cash discount. Well, the card price is supposed to be listed as on the shelf, like the higher price is supposed to be listed on the shelf. Um, and then you have a discount from what's listed on the shelf as the regular price. Okay. So we know that's what Visa wants, right? The question is, who's responsible for making sure that when the merchant puts their label on the shelf, that it's the higher price? Is that the ISO's job? Is that the sponsor bank's job? Is that Visa's job? Is that the state's job? The government, you know, whose job is that to make sure that they do it this way that Visa believes is compliant and should anyone be doing it, I guess, right? So that's where we have a little bit of the gray area. And so I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But again, I think the good news here is I'm about to tell you exactly what is compliant. And I've never really been able to do that before because Visa has always been a little bit shrouded in mystery with what they think. And and, and I know some of you would totally disagree with me and, oh, it's been the same all along. But the thing is, when you are, you know, when you're in my job as a consultant and I've worked with dozens of these big companies, I can tell you for a fact, Visa had no stomach whatsoever for enforcing this stuff two, three years ago. Even a year ago, it wasn't as big of a deal on enforcement. Um, and when you look at the Durban Amendment, right, and what the Durban Amendment allows for and the, the spirit of that law with the free speech and all of that, um, really, I think there was a very valid argument to be made, and I made it more forcefully than anybody else, that, hey, we can do a non-cash adjustment, we can do a service fee, we can do all of these different things. And I'm going to get to the long-term objective when I'm done with these three scenarios. So I still think we can come back to that later, similar programs, if we wanted to. I don't think we are going to want to, but we could come back to that. So... With all that being said, let's dive in and talk about three scenarios. Are you ready? Number one, you are currently offering a non-cash adjustment or service fee or technology fee, whatever it is, you're adding a fee to debit and credit transactions. You're adding a fee to all card transactions, okay? Um, again, whatever you want to call it, it does not matter. You're adding a fee to all card transactions, okay? If that is the program you're currently selling, 
and or it is a program that you have already sold to existing merchants, okay? What you need to do is very simple, okay? You need to switch those merchants over to dual pricing, okay? Now you say, James, why do we need to do that? Well, because when Visa is you know, making this change here on April 15th, they're saying that you can't do a surcharge above 3%, okay? So in the past, when, you know, the secret shopper would come in or they would get a complaint from a customer and it would have the, you know, non-cash adjustment at 3.99%, well, Visa would say, well, that's probably a non-compliant program, but we can't really do anything about it because if it was on a credit card, we would consider, they, you know, Visa would consider it a surcharge. And if it's under that 4% cap, there wasn't much they could do about it. Now the cap is 3%, okay? So the problem now is any line item on that receipt that's, that's you know higher than that 3% cap, Visa knows without a doubt that it is not compliant with Visa rules. And they will fine you if they find it. Like they will fine you, okay? Um, we've even heard rumors uh, that they've been saying that they will fine without warning. Like they'll just send you a notice and say, we find you, <laughs> right? So that's not good. And the fine is $5,000. For those of you that didn't know that, that's the start. That's where it starts at. $5,000 is the first uh, the first offense fine on that merchant. So, um, you know, if you're doing a, a line item program, just switch to dual pricing. For those of you that are still on the fence about that, I honestly cannot imagine why you are still on the fence about it. I mean, seriously. And again, I take full responsibility. Up until, what, seven, eight months ago, I was still promoting non-cash adjustment and, and similar programs, right? And I was working with my clients to bat away the visa compliance stuff um, and we had a 100% success rate until about seven, eight months ago. And then it was like, oh, wait a second, Visa shifting tactics. And so, but then once I get into dual pricing, which some of my friends in the industry have been telling me for years was much better and I didn't listen. Um, you know what? It's a lot better in every way, okay? It's the exact same price differential, right? So if you have somebody on a 3.99% uh, non-cash adjustment, just change it and make a differential between the cash price and the card price right? That it's that same amount. So it's the same economics. Um, the customer experience is much better, I believe, you know, and I can tell you from experience selling it out in the field, it is much easier to sell. Merchants understand it. You can use the fuel station example and say, they've been to a fuel station where they offer a cash and a card price. And so all around, it's just better. Okay. So switch to dual pricing. And I mean, switch all of your merchants over to dual pricing where there's a cash and a card price and get rid of the line item fee. Now that doesn't mean, I want to be clear, getting rid of the line item and making it a cash and a card price, that does not make you compliant with Visa rules. That does not make your merchant compliant with Visa rules. We're going to talk about that next. But what it does is it eliminates the number one red flag that Visa secret shoppers are looking for and Visa analysts that are getting these um, you know, receipts and signs sent in by angry customers and issuing banks. Um, it removes the number one red flag, which is the line item. Okay. So if you still have merchants on that program, you really, really need to switch them because you're running a big risk that they will get tagged by Visa. And believe me when I tell you, it's like a dog with a bone. Once Visa tags that merchant as they're doing this non-compliant program, you're done, okay? You're either going to switch them to compliant surcharging or interchange plus most likely because you're not going to be able to then switch them to dual pricing for reasons I'm going to talk about in a second, okay? So if I was you, I would really aggressively work on this. And, and this is, you know, it used to be such a big deal, you know, technology-wise. It's not anymore. It's as easy. Most of you, if you have terminals out there that are doing non-cash adjustment, there's probably a setting in the terminal where you could switch it to dual pricing now, right? It's not that big of a deal. So take the time now to switch them. Um, if you have point-of-sale systems, that's a little bit of a bigger deal. You need to work with the point-of-sale provider, and that can take a little while. But the main thing is get rid of that line item. It's the number one red flag. Again, that does not make you compliant but it gets rid of the number one red flag that Visa is looking at. So number one is, if you're doing a line item program on all cards, not just credit, but all cards, what you need to do is you need to switch to dual pricing. So what do you say? Okay, James, got it, but I'm already on dual pricing. Do I need to be scared about this? Do I need to be making changes? Yes, and yes, <laughs> okay? Uh, I have been very surprised by uh, the compliance issues that I've seen. Um, you know, the complaints that are coming through from Visa 
are frankly uh, disturbing a little bit. I mean, they're they're very, uh, in my personal opinion, very much overreaching. I probably should have said already that I'm not an attorney. This is not legal advice. But, you know, this idea of these complaints that are coming in are, are pretty interesting. So, I mean, I have seen complaints for merchants where it's literally they've got line item, you know, cash and card price line item on a receipt from a point of sale system for a restaurant. Um, and, you know, everything is there on the menu. It says we have a cash and a card price, but the menu only lists the card price. Or I mean, only, I'm sorry, only lists the cash price on the menu. And that generated a compliance complaint that would have resulted in a $5,000 fine if the ISO would not have taken action. So um, I've seen it on the, where on the shelf, they don't have, they have the cash price. So, you know, yes, Visa is taking significant action. Um, but when I say significant, let's put that into perspective. Okay. Um, I know large ISOs where they're experiencing this on one out of every 400 merchants. That's like kind of the most that I've seen, maybe one out of 300. Now there are some where Visa will kind of, again, dog with the bone in their mouth, kind of like, oh, wait a minute, this ISO is doing something not compliant. And they have all the data to see all your merchant accounts. And they'll, they'll send out secret shoppers to go to multiple accounts. And then it can be a higher number than that. But just general, we're talking about one out of 400. Now, I think after this uh, switch to the 3% cap, I think that number is going to go to something like one out of 100. So I think we're going to get to a point where in the next 12 months, probably something like 1% of the merchants collectively that we have um, that are on one of these programs that Visa does not like, if they're doing it in a way that Visa considers not compliant, they are going to get a, uh, a compliance um, notice sent out and there will be a $5,000 fine unless some things are done a little bit differently. So yes, you should be concerned if you're already doing dual pricing. And there are three things that you should do. Ready? I'm going to tell you what they are. It's very simple. Okay. Number one, you need an addendum to your agreement. Okay. An addendum to your agreement that spells out for the merchant what Visa considers compliant. Okay. Which is very simple. And that is everywhere prices are listed, we need to have a cash and a card price. Very simple. That's it. Okay. Now, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. All right. So number one is you need to have an addendum that the merchant signs where the merchant is accepting responsibility for the fact that Visa wants there to be two prices on everything. Okay. That's number one. Number two, you need to educate the merchant on the state of Visa enforcement and what they're doing. Okay. Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to say some things right now that I'm sure I will get uh, ridiculed for. And a lot of people will disagree with me. And uh, if that's you, I, I value your opinion and your feedback um, and I will take it as constructive criticism, but I'm entitled to my opinion and I am just a very practical, pragmatic person. Okay. So let me start here before I say things that everybody's going to disagree with me on. And let me just start by saying, <clears throat> I believe that this is <clears throat> an overreach by Visa. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think it is totally fine for Visa to enforce what we do in the point of sale system. I think it's totally fine for them to require that ISOs put up some kind of a sign. I think it's totally okay for Visa to require that ISOs provide some kind of material to the merchant to educate them on their rules, right? Um, I think it's fine for Visa to enforce what the receipt looks like. I'm okay with all of that. That's that's part of the payments ecosystem, you know? I'm not okay with Visa telling a merchant what they can and cannot put on the shelf or the menu. Um, <clears throat> I think that's an overreach. I think that's the job of the state government um, or the federal government. And, um, you know, I just don't think that that should apply to the card brands. Okay. Um, I don't think the card, I don't think we want a private company regulating uh, speech in terms of how it is on the shelf. And I would go even further than that and say, I think that the Supreme Court case, if you read Expressions Hair Design versus the Attorney General of New York, if you've never read that, um, the majority opinion of the Supreme Court there, you should take a look at it. I mean, you take that together with the spirit of the Durban Amendment, which specifically lists the card brands and says, if somebody wants to incentivize a customer to pay, um, you know, to pay with a certain form of payment, the card brands cannot inhibit that. If you look at the spirit of the Durban Amendment, and I know those of you that want to argue with me about all oh, the Durban Amendment, but then it says about the what's listed as the regular price or they're informed as the regular price. But I'm saying, if you look at that, if you if you read the Durban Amendment and then you read uh, Expressions Hair Design versus the Supreme Court, I think you would come away from that reading with a very clear opinion. If you look at it in an unbiased nature, a very clear opinion that the federal government, um, you know, in the Supreme Court 
that they believe that business owners should have free speech rights in the way that they communicate their prices to their customers. So I said it. That's that's what I believe. So understand that everything I'm about to say is predicated on that. Okay. So I'm being pragmatic. Okay. We have a change. We have a reality, right? We're not ready to fight Visa yet, which I'll talk about later. We're not ready to push back on this. I don't even like the word fight Visa. We're not ready to, you know, work with them to influence the direction of this thing. Um, so what are we going to do? Right. Well, here's what I think. I think we just need to educate the merchant and be honest and tell them what's going on. Okay. I talked to one of my merchants the other day. I had a great conversation with them. And you know what I told them? I said, hey, um, I just want to make you aware of something. I'm going to have you sign this addendum. Um, Visa is now requiring me to work with my merchants and basically let them know that, you know, uh, they want you to list both prices everywhere prices are listed. Now, I per my personal opinion is this is a big overreach by Visa. Uh, they don't have an army of enforcement agents out there, but they do have secret mystery shoppers that there's a, maybe a 1% chance they're going to come in your business and they're going to see what's going on in here. And they're going to see you don't have two prices listed. So it's your choice, Mr. Merchant, how you want to price. And my belief is that you have free speech rights. And so I'm not going to come in here and tell you that I'm going to force you to do this. But I do have to let you know that Visa is requiring this. And what will happen is they'll send a notice out. So if they came in here and, and you decided not to list both prices, they're going to send a notice and say, hey, this merchant's got to change this or they're going to have a $5,000 fine. Okay. Now, again, if that happens, you know, Obviously, I will come to you immediately and say, okay, you know, we, you know, Visa's taking some action here and you're going to have to make a shift, right? Or maybe we got to switch you back to traditional pricing or some other program. But, you know, we can deal with that when the time comes. So I want to make it clear it's your decision, Mr. Merchant, to do this. But I do have to just inform you that Visa's been really taking what I consider kind of radical action to do enforcement on your free speech rights on the shelf or the menu. If you feel like it's good for your customer and you feel like it's the right thing to do to list both prices, go for it. But I should let you know that there are state laws about this kind of stuff and there are visa rules. And so this is on you. I need you to sign this document, right? So that's the pitch. And again, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that and I'm okay with that. That's what I like. I just like being honest. And that's just the truth. You know, to me, I think as a general rule, I kind of like to just tell the truth. That's my truth. Now, your truth might be different than that, right? That's fine with me. If you want to go out there and say, this is what you have to do, go for it. I think it's going to be a pretty tough sell. So in no way do I want to make it sound like I believe our industry should force merchants to put both prices on the shelf. I don't believe that, okay? Um, but I do believe that we should inform them of what's going on. We should have them sign a document that they're taking responsibility for that. Um, and then I'll explain why we need them to sign the document with number three. Number three is don't fight Visa, okay? Don't fight Visa right now you're not going to win. Okay. In the past, I am sure that there are, you know, maybe one or two other people in the industry that have fought as many visa compliance complaints as I have. I mean, believe me, I know all about fighting visa on, on these compliance issues. And I am here to tell you that you're going to lose. Okay. If visa says this merchant, what they're doing is not compliant, if you respond with anything other than we agree with you, Visa, and we are requiring them to change it, then you're going to get fined $5,000. Like, there's, you're not going to win. So just save yourself the time and headache. You are not going to win. All right? So that's, that's just the truth right now. All right, I got one more scenario I need to give you real quick. And then I, I want to talk about our long-term strategy here. So again, for dual pricing, you're fine if you're doing dual pricing. That's great. Um, but, you know, make sure that you have the addendum on the agreement, you know, on the agreement that they sign, you're educating them about the current situation and what's happening. So they're not blindsided it because it could happen to them. Um, and uh, number three is agree with Visa whenever there's a compliance complaint. One of the little side note there is if you can do some kind of a customer facing display, that really does help actually um, in a lot of different ways. I think it helps the customer experience, um, but it also really does help with Visa compliance as well. And so that'd be a good thing to do. But again, the reason you want them to sign that addendum is when Visa does, you know, come out with their, hey, you know, this merchant's not compliant. It's great when you can send them this signed addendum and say, I agree with you, Visa, which is why I had the merchant sign this document saying that it was their responsibility to make sure they were in compliance with state laws and Visa rules. Um, and I specifically talked about the whole dual pricing thing and all of that. And so we've reached out to them and notified them that they have 30 days to make this change. Otherwise, we're going to cancel their merchant account. You know, like that's the response now to Visa. All right. So I'm just trying to save you some money here short term. Okay. Uh, number three, what if you're doing compliant surcharging? Ouch. Right. You just went from 3.99% or 3.5 or 375 or whatever you're doing down to 3% on credit. 
and you can't really go up on debit anymore because otherwise you're not going to really be saving the merchant any money. So what do you do? Well, I'll give you a plan if you want to make more money than you were making before this came out. Okay, are you ready? Here's what you do. Reach out to your merchant and say, hey, I've got good news and bad news. Okay. Good news is there's a new program uh, and new technology we have where now we can eliminate 100% of your payment processing cost. Okay. Prior, we were eliminating only a portion of it because you still had to pay the debit fees. Now we can do what's called dual pricing and we can do a cash and a card price because it turns out Visa really, really hates these programs where there's a line item. Okay. And they do allow it, compliance surcharging. But what they've done is they have dropped the cap of what I'm allowed to pass on to you. They've taken it from 3.5% down to 3%. Okay. So what I'm doing with all of my merchants is I am not even going to pass on that extra 50 basis points for 90 days. Everybody can stop and digest that for a minute. <laughs> I'm not going to pass on that extra 50 basis points to you for 90 days because I want to give you plenty of time to switch over to the dual pricing program where we can eliminate 100% of your processing costs and give you time to consider that. Now, of course, at the end of the 90 days, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that 50 basis points forever. There will be an extra fee on your statement of 50 basis points, right? If you decide to stay on compliance surcharging, because again, I mean, I can't do anything about that. We, You and I both agreed a 3.5% because again, we got to cover the cost of the credit cards. And there's a lot of credit cards out there that have a pretty high cost to them. So, you know, we're at 3.5, right? And so I don't want to pass that on to you, which is why I, I want to actually save you even more money. But if you do want to stay on that compliance surcharge program, there will be a 50 basis point charge on credit um, just because, you know, Visa will not allow me to pass that on to the customer. Okay. So there you go. That's why I handle compliance surcharging. Okay. You're going to end up making more money rather than less as a result of this. So, um, or just stick with compliance surcharging. You're compliant. You're just not making very much money. So, um, Okay. Uh, so last thing I want to talk about here is I want to talk about long-term real quick, a couple of minutes here. What do we do long-term? Okay. Long-term, our industry needs to come together on one thing and, and, and only one thing. Like, like we're so close. Everybody gets so, you know, it's so hard for me having these conversations. Everybody is like so frustrated. Oh, it changed again. Oh, it changed again. It's gray area. It's gray area. Hold on. We're so close. Visa has said that they're fine with dual pricing. Like that's a big deal. In their last memo, they specifically cited it. They did it in the one before, like Visa is fine with dual pricing. All 50 states are fine with dual pricing. Like we're right there. Customers are fine with the experience of dual pricing. Like everybody likes it. It works fine. Okay. There's only one issue left. And that is whose job is it to enforce compliance with the way dual pricing is done on the shelf, the menu, um, you know, the the website, whatever, right? The the proposal, the invoice, you know, who's responsible for enforcing, you know, the whatever Visa thinks it should be. It has to be the higher price or it has to be the cash and the card price or whatever, um, you know, based on state rules and all this, who's responsible, okay? Um, all we need to clarify Visa is that we're not, <laughs> okay? So what action we take about that right now? Nothing. I really don't believe that, but I am working on this. Um, if you have a large processing company and you kind of like to join in on this project, uh, you know, you're willing to put your name on a letter to Visa saying that it's unrealistic to require the ISO to enforce pricing on the shelf in the menu. Like, I don't know about if you, but if you're the CEO of a processing company, do you have enough employees to go look at each merchant location on a regular basis to confirm what the pricing looks like on physical objects in their store? I don't think you do. So why don't we explain that to Visa? <laughs> okay. So if you have a large, if you have 10,000 mids or more, okay. And you would like to join me in an effort to, you know, further educate Visa on, you know, Hey, we're, we're fine. Visa, if you want to do all this and you want to, inform, you want, if you want to get into the free speech issue, we're okay with that. If you want to go directly to the merchant, we're okay with you requiring us to educate the merchant, right? We're okay with all of that. But at the end of the day, we can't be held responsible or fined based on something the merchant does. What if they change? What if we see that it's compliant and the next day they change out their menu? How are we supposed to know that? You know what I mean? Like this is not feasible for us. So what's crazy about this to me is that's the only battle we have left. So long-term, and it'll take a long time. It's going to be 24 months before I have any progress on this, I think. But 
I am working on it, uh, working with a lot of contacts industry-wise, card brand-wise, everything. And I'm going to be putting together a letter to Visa to that effect. I already have several really big companies that we're going to be talking about this. Um, it'll take us six months to get the letter together. Like this is a slow process, right? So in the meantime, do the things I just said. But if you want to be part of that and you have 10,000 mids or more, shoot me an email, james at ccsalespro.com. If your CEO uh, is not listening to the podcast and you're listening to it, forward this to the CEO and ask him to listen, especially to the end. And if if this is something where he'd be, he or she would be willing to put their name on this letter, um, tell them to reach out to james at ccsalespro.com. They're going to get an autoresponder because they're not an active consulting client, but my uh, assistant will see it and, and you know, make sure I my eyes get on it. So um, that's it. Hopefully you got some really good nuggets of information out of this particular interview. Thank you for watching and listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Now let's jump over to questions from the field and then the insider's report from Patty Murphy. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. James, I wanted to pose the question from the field this week, if you don't okay. mind. Sounds um, good. I've been doing some research. I know a lot. You've talked a lot about this, but you know, Visa recently sent out a bulletin on surcharging in which it lowered the cap on surcharging and then did something like, you know, it was almost like a give and take here. We're going to make registration a little bit easier, but <laughs> you can yeah. only charge 3%. Right. I'm wondering, what do you think the implications of that are going to be? Is it for surcharging as well as for cash discounting and even dual pricing? Um, yes, I think it is. Um, and so what I mean by that is um, I think Beast has made their intention very clear. Um, one of my biggest frustrations, honestly, Patty, is uh, with my job, I, you know, my, my uh, place in the industry, I kind of live in the middle. What I mean by that is right. I talk to the executives of the large processing companies mm -hmm. um, and they, a lot of times don't really understand what's going on in the agent world. Right. And then I talk to the agent world and they don't really understand what's going on at the higher levels of the industry. Right. And if I'm not careful, both sides end up, you know, being mad at me for some period of time, <laughs> which I'm okay with. I've been there many times, but, um, but, and this is one of those cases where, yeah, both sides have very little understanding of the other. So let me see if I can kind of make the case for both sides real quickly. Okay. So first of all, what I think is very important to understand is this move by Visa for the 3% surcharge, um, you know, uh, they're capping surcharging at 3%. This is happening April 15th, 2023. And so, um, the first obvious one is if you're doing compliant surcharging, your margins just got hit, right? Right. Um, now, you don't have to register with the car brands, but frankly, they weren't really paying much attention to that anyway. And most of the big companies I was working with, they didn't even care. They they talked to the car brands and the car brands would give them an exception. Oh, don't worry about that. You know, you can just send us the registration in bulk once a month or something. So that wasn't really an issue anyway. But I think the larger thing here is what they're really looking to target is the non-cash adjustment, the service fee programs, right. where there's that line item on the receipt. Because Patty, one thing that I hadn't really thought about too much until the last couple of months is that, you know, if I'm doing a non-cash adjustment at 3.99%, right? right. Visa has claimed that this is a non-compliant surcharge. <clears throat> okay. Not non-compliant pricing, non-compliant surcharge. surcharge. So here's the question. Is a 3.99% non-cash adjustment on a credit transaction, is that currently against Visa rules? No. It's a non-compliant surcharge. Well, it's below 4% and it's on a credit card, right? right? So right. all the compliance hinged on you're doing this on debit. Right. So that really limits Visa's ability to find infractions because when people would send a complaint, a lot of times disproportionately, it's going to be with a credit card. And it's like, well, that's surcharging. And right. they can go look at the sign or whatever, but you know, technically it's not an issue. So um, now with the 3% cap, anybody doing a line item on the receipt on any transaction above 3% for car payments, um, that's going to be considered non-compliant and Visa is going to reach out. Now, a couple of other things that's changed at the higher levels that people need to understand, the agent community needs to understand. Visa is levying fines, right? They're not voicing their displeasure. They're charging for their displeasure, okay? Right. Right. So- your ISO has probably already gotten a five or $10,000 fine on a particular merchant account. Um, and they've really gotten pretty intense with it lately, Patty. So I'll give you one, one example. And, of course, and that adds up, James. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let me give you an example that I thought was particularly interesting. <clears throat> when I, so I talked to two ISOs I talked to recently, had the same exact situation happened multiple times, three or four times in the last couple of months. Here's the situation. 
they have a merchant doing what the entire industry would consider compliant dual pricing. Okay. They're using a terminal that's got the cash and the card price on it. Uh, the, the, the receipt has a cash and a card price on it. There's a sign that says we have a cash and a card price. And a customer has voiced a complaint and or it's been a mystery shopper, which I'll swing back to in a second. Right. And the complaint is that the shelf pricing has the cash price. Right. Okay? Or the menu, right? And so Visa has um, sent out a mystery shopper or again, initiated with a mystery shopper. And they've sent a notice to the ISO that said, this merchant is not compliant. And or in one case, can you send us a picture of their shelf pricing? To the ISO, they sent this. Well, really to the wow. sponsor bank, which sent it to the ISO. Right, right. So the- Which is not really their responsibility. But. Uh, no, which I'll come back to that. <laughs> so then what happened next is interesting. <clears throat> in, in these cases, I'm talking about, I guess about five cases that I'm aware of. The ISO has responded in the way that I would recommend they respond, which is, this is not our problem. You right. know, like no visa, we believe this is compliant. And as far as what they're doing on the shelf, you know, that's not our problem. And in five cases, visa did not respond. They fined them $5,000. Wow. Wow. No, no words, just, just five grand. Now there are some other fines where there's some whisperings behind the scenes that there are fines that visa can levy. One of them is a million dollars. Holy moly. That is a fine for an uh for a, a registered financial organization that is in continuous breach of visa rules or flagrantly in breach of visa rules or something along those lines. So if yeah, right. Now Visa has not implemented that yet, but if you don't think the CEO of your ISO is worried about that, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. Or if yeah, you're the I'd CEO of an ISO would... and you're not worried about it, you're crazy. Right. Um, I'd, I'd sure be worried, but that's a million dollars. You know, now again, they have I don't want to, I don't want to say anything. It's you know, Visa has not threatened this. They have not threatened it in writing that I'm aware of at this point, but there's been talk. And so right. that's something that people are concerned about because if Visa is going to fine for this, well, there are other fines they could levy. So what people, what the agency understand is at the executive level with the, the owners of the ISOs, the CEOs of the big processing company, it's like, why aren't they, you know, standing at the Visa? Well, one of the main reasons is they don't want to get a million dollar fine, literally. Right. And they don't want to get fined on all their merchants. Now, the last thing I want to mention about this from that side of things is the mystery shoppers. Yeah. Now that's... I, I dramatically underestimated this initially. Um, what I was trying to figure out was, well, how good is Visa really going to be at this, right? Like, but they're going to hire this army of people that are going to go out and whatever. Uh, they that's can afford not, it. Yeah, they could, but that's not what they did. Um, it looks right now like they've outsourced it. I've had uh, three people confirm that. So there is a, another company, which will remain nameless, and Visa has basically contracted with them, and they have this army of people that are able to go out. <coughs> excuse me. Well, yeah. direction. Sure. And and there are companies out there. I remember, you know, years ago when I was looking for part-time work, that was yep. one of the, you know, there was a very yep. large company that, that employs people like that. Right. Yeah. So that's what they're doing. So they have fairly okay. unlimited resources in terms of human capital to be able to go out and right. check on a business. Right. Also remember that, what was it now, three months ago, Visa had that memo where they had all the sponsor banks reach out to them and provide detailed right. information on every ISO and what programs those ISOs are selling? Are they doing a non-cash adjustment? Are they doing a service fee? Are they doing dual pricing, cash discounting, compliance surcharging? So Visa has the data. So now they're able to go out and force and validate what's being done. And they're able to find on what's not being done. So that's the ISO side of it. Let's talk about the agent side for a second. The agents are going to sell these programs. <laughs> I talked to... Uh, uh, CEO recently of a big company. And I, and uh, I said, I, I think the statement I made was all of the, you know, the vast majority of 1099 agents will end up selling for the last ISO that has offers these programs, <laughs> you know, like yeah, the right. agents are going to sell these programs because merchants want it. Agents want the residual income. It's a win-win for everybody. Right, um, right. Consumers don't care about it. And so um, that's, that's where we stand. And so the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah, yeah, but let me just ask before right. you, before we go to that. Yeah. Okay, so the non-cash adjustment then is going to need to be below three percent because Visa considers that a surcharge. Is that what no? The non-cash adjustment needs to stop. Needs to stop. Okay, that's it. Gotcha. Gotcha. It just needs to stop. If you yeah. have a line item on the receipt and it's not compliant surcharging, where you're only charging it on credit and not debit, you need right. to stop. Um, I don't care if it's called the service fee. I don't care if it's called the non-cash adjustment. I don't care if it's called a cash discount that's sometimes there and sometimes not like yeah, 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 if you okay. have a line if you have a line item that is increasing anything on the receipt 
no line items. You can't have that anymore unless right. it's actually compliant surcharging, which is going to be less than the 3% or less. Right. And it's only going to be on credit. That's right. it. Okay. Because dual pricing, there is no line item on the receipt. Shouldn't be. Right. 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 It's just, this is the cash price. This is the card price. Um, yeah. So what do we do about it is the question. Now, I think what's important here is to take, take a step back for a minute and understand that while Visa has all of this bluster and all of this influence and all of this leverage with their fines and their fees and all of that, at the end of the day, it's nearly certain that what they're doing would actually not hold up in court should there be a class action or should a uh, group of ISOs choose to take them to court over it. And the reason I say that is because of the Durban Amendment. Well, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Right. So the Durban Amendment literally like lists them <laughs> and says that doesn't list them by name, but you know the the card networks. It says the card networks are not allowed to inhibit any person from incentivizing customers to pay with a certain form of payment. And it even goes so far as to say they're not allowed to inhibit them with their with their contract and right. other things, and among other things. Now, right. the way they would get around that is that there is a section there that talks about a discount and defines it as a discount from what the customer is informed is the regular price. So they would say, well, yeah, we're not trying to inhibit anybody from doing a true cash discount where they raise the price on the shelf of the menu and then do a discount. Um, and that's how they would get around it. But I would argue that if you actually read the Durban Amendment and you look at the entire section about it and the in-kind incentive language, I think right. that the spirit of the law is pretty clear. And I think any judge in the country would probably back me up on this, which is, and I'm not an attorney, this is not legal advice, but I think the general right. spirit of it is Visa is not allowed to use their contract to inhibit free speech of merchants to be able to price however they want to incentivize right. for whatever payment they want. Right. I mean, right. as long as the customer's not being tricked, you know, they're that's that's not going to fly. Um, and that's yeah, and that seems pretty pretty common. Also, you know, when you look at the whole you know object, the concept of you know corporations having the same you know having free speech rights. So, exactly. Exactly. You know. And what I was about to say, and you, a great segue into that, Patty, which is. Look at the court case of Expressions Hair Design versus the right. AG of New York. Look at uh, court cases all over the country in different states. And what you're going to see is a couple things. You're going to see that there's no mention of debit. The courts don't care one bit about this debit versus credit nonsense. Right. Look at Canada. Right. Canada just implemented where they're allowing surcharging. It has nothing to do with credit or debit. You can surcharge right. both. There, right. This is the thing that was manufactured by Visa as part of the settlement in order to preserve their well, yeah, It was the only way because they didn't want to do it, period. So they said, right. okay, you know, you do credit, but we'll, give it, we'll give you half the way. Let's make it harder. Um, right. I personally think that it's a, you know, <laughs> wouldn't really be that difficult to topple that in terms of it can be credit, it can be debit, it doesn't matter. Um, now, again, uh, that that's important to note that because, you know, Visa technically is dangerously close to violating federal law in terms of the Durban Amendment with their actions. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing to understand is their requirement on the ISOs is also really important. We got to talk about the scope of compliance. So one side of this is, okay, is what the merchant doing compliant? That's one question. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. second question is, who's responsible for enforcing that compliance? Right. So we've pretty much, until somebody is going to challenge Visa in court, we've lost the battle of the shelf of the menu pricing. So sorry to tell everybody, but we lost that battle, meaning you're not going to convince Visa that it's okay that your merchant doesn't have the shelf of the menu price, the dual pricing, you know, they don't have the higher price on the menu or the shelf. Visa has decided that's not compliant. The, the real question though is, Whose job is it to enforce that? And I think when you take a step back, it's actually very unrealistic to think that the ISO is going to enforce anything along these lines. Right. You know, merchants can change pricing willy-nilly. And, you know, it's one thing to say, we got to audit what's on the merchant's website through a crawl or some kind of automated means. Right. It's right. a whole different thing to say, there are these physical objects that exist on the shelf, on the and menu. And we have to go look at them. And we have to look at them, I guess, what, every day? Does the, does the merchant need right. to send us a picture every day? How often do we validate are you going to find us? How many SKUs are we talking about? Like exactly. you know, hundreds, if not thousands in right. some cases. Right. And, and all this time, we're making way too much money. Yes. So we need yeah. to make less because our industry doesn't do anything, except that right. now we're supposed to audit the pricing of every merchant in America every day. Right. We, it's ridiculous. We, we facilitate the, the trade in the country, you know, in the right. economy. Right. And, and now we're also going to be policemen. Right. But we're, but we're greedy because we want to make 30% right. less than interchange. Right. We're greedy policemen. <laughs> so anyway, you know, to me, that that is where I think the industry needs to begin to stand. And yeah. I'm doing a few things behind the scenes, trying to work something out. But I really I think, think the need... industry does need to take a stand. On we this, do. You know, I, I um, think at, at the very least in this area, you know, and I it's interesting because I re, I reached out to the ETA not that long ago and because they had sent out this thing 
you know, this is our, you know, our legislative agenda, right? Something to that effect. You know, these are the issues that we're really interested right. in. Right. And so I, I reached out and I said, how come interchange isn't on here? Oh, well, we leave right. that to other people. Right. I'm like, really? Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, the ABA wouldn't wouldn't leave that to some somebody else. You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. the ABA is doing a lot of work in terms of right. of interchange and doing a lot of commercials and so forth right now. Right. Right. Um, it seems to me that if, if if there was more unification between the banking and the you know ISO and Asian right. communities, right, you'd have a much better chance of yeah. of beating. Well, us. And I think I think a really good I think a really good first step is that I think our industry needs to stand up. And not in a legal way or anything. I think we need to stand up and just um, inform Visa publicly that, you know, hey, we're we're not trying to we're not trying to beat you here. And, and you know, this is we don't doesn't we don't have to be. There's no necessarily it has to be a big animosity at this point in this particular right. thing. We we're saying okay, fine. You want them to change the menu price? You want them to change shelf price? Feel free to let all the merchants know that. Feel free to enforce that with your with your secret shoppers. Feel free to talk to the merchants about that. But understand that we're we're payment processing companies. You know, right. we don't print menus. We don't print labels. We don't do marketing slicks. So we can't be the police force for you in that way. If you, you know, we feel like that's a stretch of the freedom of speech of the merchant. But if Visa, if you disagree and you want to go to battle with the merchants and, and you know, take yourself down a path for a class action lawsuit, knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. We yeah. really don't want to do that. That's not really they our thing. They seem to be good at that anyway, you know. They do. They do. <laughs> it costs them billions of dollars. You'd think they'd learn, but eventually, you know, but it's learned like, after a while. So I think we need to do that. I think there needs to be something going along those lanes. And then as far as for the agent community, what do they do? You know, uh, let me tell you what I think right now. And, and again, I know I'm going to make everybody mad at me. So, oh, well, I've been, they've been oh, mad at me well, before. It won't be the first time. Yeah. You know what you got to do <laughs> when you get a merchant and they're pricing and you get notified, hey, the menu pricing, the shelf pricing is wrong. Just agree with Visa and say, I'm sorry, and tell the merchant to change it. And if they don't change it, cancel the merchant account. Yeah, sorry. You don't really have a whole lot of choice, you know, because it's you're going to be holding the, holding the financial right. bag. And I mean, right. I mean, it's it's happening right now. It's like one out of every three hundred merchants or something. I mean, it's not like it's a you know a, a epidemic proportion yet. So right, that's what you have to do right now. Do I think you should can the entire program because Visa doesn't like it? No, I think you should you know stand your ground by saying we're still going to offer this thing. And we say it's not our problem as far as the menu and the and the and the shelf. We disagree with Visa on that. But if Visa is going to force the merchant into something, make it very clear and give proof to the merchant that it is Visa, not us. Right. That is forcing That's you to do this, this. but make right. no mistake about it. They're going to fine us five, $10,000 if you don't do it. So you are going to do it or we're going to cancel your account. And if you yeah. have an issue, take it up with Visa. So right. I think that's the approach that we really need. And I think agents need to understand that that's going to happen and that, you know, non-cash adjustment stuff is going to go away. Uh, line item on the receipt is going to go away. And long-term, um, you know, your ISO has got some serious money at stake and they're probably going to be requiring that merchants don't continue. So you may have a big merchant. They may say, well, I'm, I'm not going to change my menu. Well, you're probably going to lose that account, and and that's yeah, just the probably. way it goes. And so that's that's it, and and that merchant's going to get in some hot water at some point down the road. But for right now, your ISO just they can't handle getting fines on all these merchant accounts and and risking a million dollar fine for repeated violation, that sort of thing. It'll be interesting, you know, once you know as this takes off, you know, continues, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of dual pricing and so forth and surcharging continues. It would be interesting to see if there becomes enough. Um, energy within the merchant community to go against Visa on this. So I've had extensive conversations with several attorneys about that. It's actually a lot more difficult than you would think. And the, and the issue is who has been damaged? Yeah. Yeah. The problem is our industry has really made a fortune on this. Right. And so for us to go and sue Visa for what? profits we didn't get you know like yeah. it's it's not a very compelling case this really needs to be grassroots and come from the but merchants is it, but is it a merchant case because i think it can be a merchant case yes. you know if you can use a, the free speech argument well of course and it's already been a merchant case right it's right. just that it hasn't right. it hasn't been a merchant case against visa that's what i'm saying a merchant case against right. visa that's what yes. where i would but then like but but then the issue yeah, then the issue becomes who's going to take on that class action and who right. wants to do it and so um again i I'm not necessarily recommending that right now, but no, I do no. feel like I do feel like we need to send a kind of a shot across the bow to Visa to say we'll go down that route if we need to go down that route, right? But that's not our our preference. Our preference right now is leave us alone. Like you didn't right. want the line item on the receipt, we got rid of it. 
You wanted to do dual pricing like the fuel stations? We're doing it. You wanted the point of sale system to list the cash and the card price? It does. You wanted the sign to say, we have a cash and a card price right on the door, right at the point of sale? It does. Like, leave us alone. What more right. do you want from us? We can't police every shelf and menu in America. Like, that's right. enough. And so I, right. I think at some point, we do have to kind of stand up and say, okay, Visa, like, we, we went as far as we could here. Like, this is we're done. Like, what else do you yeah. want from us here? So I, right. I think that that conversation needs to happen. But I think beyond that right now, um, I think we have to let things play out. I think the long-term solution is either going to be a class action for merchants or hopefully it's getting more legislative or regulatory of, okay, you know, let's, right. let's level the playing field here and say, here's what a merchant can do and here's what a merchant can't do. And this is not a private company that is regulating pricing of small business owners across America. That's the case I really think needs to be made to legislators is we have a private right. company enforcing pricing tactics for organizations across the country. And that's not ideal. And and exactly. And, and you know, and, and no offense to anybody, but Visa and MasterCard have been in the crosshairs of regulators and the Justice Department for a long time. It's not like they don't you have know. any enemies. Right. And so I'm wondering why, you know, they really want to pick this battle because I do think that down the road, this battle could come back you know, have, it could have some blowback for them. I could not agree with you more, but what I can tell you definitively at this point, Patty, is they have chosen this battle. Yeah. Oh, they have. No and, and I didn't, I didn't know that six months ago. I really didn't. I mean, I really didn't. Well, you I, and I'm I talked shocked. about it six months ago. We <clears throat> thought it was just, you know, when there was that, um, a restaurant in Florida, I think somebody yep. brought to our attention, yep. right? We're like, oh, this is just, you know, right. a one-off situation, but right. it's not, it's been, it's been ramping up and it's been growing and growing and growing. And, and, yeah. you know, and again, they, and I mean, I know, and again, I, I can't share very much because all my information comes from consulting clients where I have NDAs, but I can, I can guarantee you Visa now takes this very seriously. Yeah. They're going to be issuing fines. Um, they're going to be leveraging their, their new secret shopper army. Um, and they take it very seriously. So be prepared. It's coming. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. So here's an interesting uh, piece of news, James. FIS is getting out of merchant services. It's uh, yeah, spinning off that? WorldPay. You know, FIS has been for a while a major provider of software and services to banks and credit unions. And it decided to broaden its reach to include merchant services back in 2018 with its purchase of WorldPay for a price of $43 billion. Money well spent. <laughs> well spent, right? We'll come back to in that. In the meantime, in the four years since, its shares have lost more than half their value. Yeah. Which is interesting because Fiserv at about the same time bought First Data and Fiserv's lost some of its value, but certainly not 50% no. of its value. Right. Um, you know, it's interesting because WorldPay has been around for a number <laughs> of years with different ownership, including at one point the Royal Bank of Scotland. Right. Just a little piece of information for anybody who didn't know. Yeah, RBS, Royal Bank Pay. of Scotland got bailed out after the 20, 2008 uh, crash and had a spinoff WorldPay, which then got eventually, then it started expanding into the U.S., Bantam acquired WorldPay, you know, FIS acquired WorldPay, everything is as we have it now. Right. Now, globally, WorldPay, is, it says it's the largest acquirer by transactions, but it produced flat growth on FIS's balance sheet in 2022. And the newly independent WorldPay will, will focus on expanding its e-commerce and enterprise offerings and, quote, more aggressive investment opportunities, including M&A. Yeah. Once the spinoff is complete, WorldPay will continue to operate under that name with former CEO Charles Ducker um, back in the helm. Um, and the deal is expected to be completed this year. But mm -hmm. this is the thing that was interesting. You know, FIS execs said they are committing to the company's core business, which, of course, is software and services. And the board chairman had this to say about merchant services, which I thought really speaks to why they said, OK, we lost. Um, the pace of disruption in payments is rapidly accelerating, requiring increased investment and growth and a different capital allocation strategy for our merchant solutions business. So, you know. I mean, you really got to hand it to the company. <laughs> you know, there's some companies that would just keep throwing money after, mm -hmm. you know, a bad decision. Um, 
I think they thought it was a logical decision and it seemed like a logical decision in 2018. But I think they they realized quickly that they bit off more than they could chew. And it'll be interesting to see what WorldPay can do on its own. Well, and I think in fairness to their executive team, actually, the people who bought it, uh, that, that CEO is gone and there's it's a new gone. CEO. Right. And so right. a it, new it, CEO. Right. I mean, so in fairness, actually, the, the previous CEO, in my opinion, made a massive, massive billion mistake. dollar mistake and right. did not execute against the strategy that was that was projected that here's what they would do. Um, and now the new CEO has come in and say, wait a second, we're not focused on what matters. Right. We're not focused. And so now they're spinning it off, which I agree is the right decision. I'll tell you what I thought about it, Patty, is I would really, I could really see WorldPay competing with um, Shift4. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, because it, as you know, I think Shift4 has really gotten away from kind of the retail ISO type mm-hmm. world. And they're really going after these like huge companies to provide these enterprise solutions. And right. they're making a fortune out of it. They really are. Um, and, and really, Although, again, to talk about stock prices, their stock prices have you know not been showing as good as they've been doing. But I, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, though, that they I think that will change. I really do. I think as the as the market changes, it might take a few years, but I think they're, yeah, they're going to do I agree. well. But I, and you know? I think they kind of went up a little fast anyway. And that happened. Well, and I'll say the other thing, too, is you got to keep in mind for shift four, you know, they've had their own transition because they've kind of jettisoned this business that made them so profitable for years, not jettisoned it, but you know, they, they've stopped growing in that area and they put all their money into these really long-term sales, long, long cycle right. sales processes. It takes two years to sell Microsoft on payment processing. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, it takes a long time to sell these big companies and that's what right. they're doing now, but I could see right. global, uh, uh, you know, competing in that way as well. So anyway, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Stuff. And I just, one other thing to say about the world pay FIS, and you're right. You know, they brought in this new, CEO, I think it was like fourth quarter of last year. Yeah. And in December, they sat down and they announced they were going to do a complete, strategy, you know, strategy thing <clears throat> within a month, right? Within six weeks, it was like, okay, this was this was a big mistake. Let's take care of this. I yeah. thought that was pretty, you know, pretty quick action. But it was it was decisive. And so, yeah, we'll see if it's the right choice. I think um, I definitely understand the rationale for it. Um, oh, definitely. So for sure. Good stuff, Patty. We'll keep us posted on that one for sure. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.